Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 Lord, I've really been real stressed. Welcome back. Another Facebook Live, Twitter Live here at the Tennessee Holler. I am Holler founder Justin Canoe. TNHoller.com is where you can find us and subscribe to our emails twice a week. Chipping in also really helps because of you. We have been able to grow, so thank you for that. We're also at Knoxville Holler, Memphis, all across Tennessee, so that stuff really helps. Today we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite person, Betsy DeVos. Uh, She has been in the news lately again. Thanks to Derek, who wrote about her in the Daily News in New York, uh, and so we're going to talk to Derek a little bit about what she's up to. Derek, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's hard to do well with, with Betsy around, but, you know, we manage as best we can. Well, that's always true. So if you can, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm actually a native of Tennessee, grew up in East Tennessee. I uh, went to graduate from Clinton High School, which is very important for those of you in the in the public education world. It's the first uh traditionally white high school in the entire South to graduate African-American. Um, of course, that was before my time, but uh, school was bombed. And so, you know, that certainly colored my history uh, in, in terms of my views of things and, and, and what those public schools did for me uh, as well. Went on to University of Tennessee, um, UTK, go Vols, and uh, then on to UNC School of Law. And now I'm a law professor here at the University of South Carolina. And you have a focus or a concentration on education. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's part of my personal story that, you know, reflecting on, you know, the opportunity that I have, the fact I'm sitting in this in this office, I don't I don't think that any of that would have come to me without, you know, the hard work that, you know, and and the care and love, you know, that the public school teachers put into me as I write, you know, my book here in the background, uh, public school or schoolhouse burning. I mean, sometimes my public school teachers wanted more for me than I wanted for myself. Uh, and knowing what I know now about public education, if you looked at Derek Black and thought about his his family history and dynamics, um, you would not have bet on him being a success. And so, you know, I, I say, you know, in the book that public education is the inheritance that we all share. And it's really an inheritance for those kids who can't really expect an inheritance in in the traditional sense. It's something that we pass from generation to generation. And so, you know, that's what I got. That's what I got from people of Tennessee, the the families of of Clinton, Tennessee. And it's, you know, it's propelled me on to have a a better life than, than I would have imagined for myself as a young man. What does schoolhouse burning mean? Well, schoolhouse burning is is really, yeah. I'll say I never was crazy about the title, you know, it was like they wanted it. And I said, well, I can tell you one thing, there'll be no burning schools on the front of this, of this cover. Um, you know, a slightly charred flag made out of school pencils, I guess I could live with. I thought, I thought came off pretty well, but you know, the idea was that if you trace the history of our public schools back to the nation's founding, 
they've been the bedrock for the expansion of democracy. They've been the bedrock for the expansion of opportunity. And they've been the bedrock of, of bringing people together. And they've always been bipartisan for the most part, except for those folks who wanted to undermine democracy. Uh, you know, so during, you know, Jim Crow segregation, there's a different story to tell. And I tell that in the book. But public education has survived and thrived from the beginning of our nation until now. And what I'm really saying in this book is that there are some folks, powerful folks like Betsy DeVos, who want to burn that public schoolhouse down. Uh, obviously not, not in, in reality, but at least metaphorically. And that we've got to think long and hard about that. If, if you look at the story that I tell in this book and realize how central those schools are uh, to the American idea of an educated voter and to bring communities together, if we throw them away um, and, and go for private choice, for instance, we are throwing away something that has made America what it is. And that that's a very scary idea to me. So the subtitle is public education and the attack on American democracy, because the attack on public education that Betsy DeVos is waging is, is really an attack on American democracy. I think that's really well said. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that and tell me and our audience, what does she want and how is she trying to burn down public education? Yeah, well, I mean, the first, I mean, from day one, she said more private school choice. And by that, she means uh, vouchers so that the public would pay for private school vouchers. And, you know, unfortunately, I've had to tweet and talk a good deal about what's been going on in your state. Uh, and uh, got a lot of got friends that are part of that litigation uh, as well. But, um, you know, that that's a Betsy DeVos idea. I don't think Governor Lee thought that up by himself. We've got some current challenges going on here in South Carolina. I don't think Governor McMaster's thought that up by himself either. So so Betsy's been orchestrating this sort of voucher expansion. So that's one part of it. Or let's just take money out of the public school funding and give it to private school tuition. There's been other stuff she's been doing with the tax code in terms of trying to allow people to do more stuff tax-free or to get tax credits to, to fund their, their, their private education. Um, one thing that hasn't succeeded yet, but you know, she seems to be more effective, unfortunately, as the day go by, days go by, you know, straight out of the box, the beginning of the administration, they said, we want to take this chunk of money, what's called Title I money. That's the, that is the biggest chunk of federal funds for public education out there, spend about $15 billion a year. And what they wanted to do was to take that money and instead of giving it to our highest poverty schools, to use that money to fund more vouchers. So, you know, there was some talk of charters early on. You know, she would say charters and vouchers, but in the last two years, uh, she stopped talking about charters, right? At least, I mean, I am not a pro-charter person as a general principle, but at least there is some public connection there and, and, and all kids are theoretically able to go there. But now it's just voucher, 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 right? So tax code, you know, Title I, um, you know, all this stuff. And now yeah, she's using COVID. She's using COVID to push this agenda. So some of these legislative agendas, to be quite honest, have floundered for three years in Congress, but she finally found a wedge with COVID. And to be quite honest, I just think Congress and I were a little naive. I think some of us thought, well, it's COVID. It's a it's a worldwide pandemic. You know, Betsy will finally set aside her agenda um, and, and just try to do what's right by kids. 
during the pandemic. You know, any decent person, it seems to me, would put their their personal agendas aside in a moment of crisis and try to do what's necessary for the schools that serve, you know, 90 to 95% of our kids. But she has not. She has tried to find gray areas uh, in the law to exploit. And to be quite honest, just made stuff up, you know, and, and, and claimed something was a gray area when in fact, Congress is crystal clear about how she should be, should be spending the money uh, and how schools should spend the money. So she's been exploiting this crisis to move money uh, into the private system because we're acting very fast and, and the laws are going out fast. It's hard to keep up with her. And then, you know, she manufactured another crisis, which was to say all these public schools should be opening. They're not because there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with these public schools. And since they won't open, we need to give them money to the private schools. And you know, she created that narrative, right? You know, you look even at these private schools, it's not like they're all open. You know, a lot of them are doing online too. In the spring, they were doing online. And as we give these money out to vouchers, there's no requirement that they provide uh, in-person instruction, but that was the narrative, right? They can do something public schools can't, right? And, and therefore we ought to give them money. And, you know, to be, to be also um, candid, you know, she really hasn't provided any leadership in terms of how we deal with COVID in the public schools or the resources they need to, to be safe. So it's sort of like she's blaming them in part for stuff she didn't do to help them, right? So she's really manufactured out of thin air crisis to push this ideological, this ideological wedge, um, you know, and so, so there we are. I enjoy how suddenly during the pandemic, all of these people who have been joining her in that fight to steer money away from public schools. Now public schools are the most important thing. We have to get our kids in public schools. We have to open up public schools. We're, we're nowhere without them. Suddenly they all seem to have this newfound appreciation for public schools and we're forcing these th these, these schools to open and putting people in danger. So you mentioned that she's steering money to it's okay. So at, at the core, she's steering money from public schools to private schools and she's using the pandemic to do that. So on the one, it, it seems to me there are two sort of possible core motivations here. One is just a heist, right? It's just a money grab steering money from public schools to private schools. It's all about the money, follow the money. And, and at its root, that maybe is what it is. And, you know, she has a lot of people behind her who control public schools and have their hands in public schools. But then there's also a part of this that I wanted to ask you about. She, not too long ago, was very open and candid in an interview with a Christian interviewer who asked her and her husband uh, a question. And then she was very open about her answer. I wanted to play it for you. Sure. if you don't mind. And then you can tell me uh, what you actually think this, this means. Uh, this is, Oh wait, I think I might've lost the link. I may have to go back and find the link here. Hang on one second. But, but essentially she says to the, uh, the interviewer that she's trying to advance God's kingdom with what she's doing in uh, the public school sector. And he asks her why she doesn't just donate directly to uh, 
to Christian schools. And he says to her, because she can get more done this way. So I wanted to play it for you and then have you sort of react to it. This is uh, Betsy DeVos saying what I'm saying here. Hang on one second. I'm, I'm, I'm stalling because I'm trying to tee up the clip. Wouldn't it have been easier to simply fund Christian private schools and be done with it? There are not enough philanthropic dollars in America to fund what is currently the need in education. We went on a trip to Israel with a marvelous teacher, and he really challenged all of us on that trip to be active in the Shafala, where the cultures meet. Our desire is to be in that Shafala, to um, confront the culture in which we all live today in ways which will continue to help um, advance God's kingdom. Why waste your dollars on non-Christian things? Well, I think it goes back to what I just mentioned, the concept of really being active in Shafala of our culture, to impact our culture in ways that are not the traditional funding the Christian organization route, but that really may have greater kingdom gain in the long run by Okay. Oh, and then this last thing. Changing the way we approach things in this case, um, the system of education in the country. So she, she admits it right there that her main goal is to advance God's kingdom by steering public dollars to private schools. That seems to be a jaw-dropping admission to me. I haven't really seen that clip played much, which is quite surprising. And again, you know, we obviously we are a faithful state. I'm not trying to attack religion. I'm not trying to attack Christianity. But there does seem to be a demarcation between our state and churches. And to have somebody openly admitting that she's trying to raid the coffers of our public education system to advance God's kingdom. That, that seems to be a stunning admission. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. Well, I, I've ceased to be stunned by by, by Betsy DeVos at, at this point. Um, but you're you're right. It, it, it is it, it is pretty crazy uh, on on many levels. Um, you know, I guess what I would say one of the, one of the things, and this I've got another op-ed that I'm working on right now, hopefully coming out. And you know, I think so much of how a person views history, and I'm really thinking about her and, and um, you know, and DeVos, you know, depends on how they situate themselves in history. And so when you think about what public schools have done um, to expand opportunity for kids and expand uh, education, for me, you know, being a, um, you know, a, lower, a relatively lower class person, who got a chance to, to to do something better and also to sort of experience integrate racially integrated environments? I see myself as a winner from the public education wars, but at the same time, all these expansions and opportunity and, and expansions of integration were happening. There's this other group of people that go, "There's a war going on, and I'm losing." Right. And some of that's also the sort of school prayer issues and stuff that Betsy's talking about. And so I think Betsy looks at the world and sees you know, equality and public education as a battle that she lost, or maybe a battle that, that God lost. Um, um, and she's here to, to, to fight back, right? To sort of fight back and attack those things. And the point I'm just trying to make is that, you know, I think our public education, to be quite honest, uh, 
represents many, if not all, of the same values that you find in the Bible, right? That our public schools are really there to do for the least of these, right? We've never sort of been worried about rich people's education, right? And we've never worried about the dominant mainstream's ability to practice their religion. I'm from East Tennessee, right? Like, you know, and I talk about this a little bit in my book, but I'm from East Tennessee and, uh, you know, heavily Baptist. I mean, it's just part of everything, right? It's like, you know, Sunday is Baptist church and Saturday is the UT Vols. Like that is it, right? There's not something else that people do, at least if you're white and and in that area. And so, um, you know, I, the public schools are also there to say, but wait a minute, there, we can have Catholics too. Uh, we can have uh, Jews as well. We can have Muslims as well. That is not the job to, and I don't think, you know, cross teaching is to sort of put these other people, you know, down either. So, uh, you know, the idea that somehow or another our public school system is persecuting, uh, you know, Christianity is strange to me. I mean, Christians aren't persecuted, in, at least in my experience, in, in East Tennessee. Um, and, you know, the schools are open to all. And so I just think she, she has this warped view of what our schools represent. And it's because she sees herself as a loser in this historical, uh, in this historical, you know, narrative. And, and it's, it, that part is shocking. And you might ask, how does a person reach that conclusion? that they're the loser in this war, that our schools are the problem. And I think the answer to that is you've got to be pretty far removed from reality, right? She's, that, not, she's not alone, though. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and, and an op-ed says, you know, um, President Trump says that if we teach our racial history, we're just going to teach Americans, we're going to teach kids to hate America. And so this op-ed I'm working on, I say, wait a minute, if you really teach our racial history and all that people have fought to do to bring more equality and all that we've fought to achieve, that's what makes America exceptional. Like Americans aren't gonna hate America because we've overcome our failures. And the only way you reach the idea that somehow or another teaching our history is a denigration of America is if you see yourself as the loser in that, right? And so, yeah, I mean, if you're Donald Trump, I guess you are the loser in history, right? He doesn't, he doesn't call himself a loser, but in his view of history, he's the loser, right? And in Betsy's DeVos of education, view of education, her values are the losers. But the truth is, you know, public schools in America is a, is a, is a history of, of expansion uh, for lots of people who maybe don't look like or come from the places that DeVos and, and Trump are from. But it's a winner, right, for 90% of America. It's not a loser. And so right there in that little bubble. Right. Well, when I, I ran for Congress in 2018 and, you know, one of the things that I heard a lot in rural Tennessee was that Democrats want to keep God out of schools, keep God out of this, keep God out of that. And, you know, I would agree that or I would I would offer that a lot of what we fight for taking care of the least of these especially is the message of, of the Bible. And I think Democrats in general need to do a better job of bringing that up and, and talking about that. But I still feel like it's worth people understanding, you know, at the end of the day, Betsy DeVos has an agenda, right? And it's it's clearly a religious agenda, seems to me. She doesn't need money. So, you know, what is she, what is her agenda? Her agenda is she's pushing 
to steer this the treasury towards advancing God's kingdom. It's it's towards you know having more money for religious schools, and I think on the same level, that's also what Governor Lee wants here in Tennessee. So that brings us back to your article, which is your article is about how she is essentially using the pandemic as cover for this. Specifically, what is she doing to do that? Well, I'm sorry to not answer. Let me let me back because I think there's an important point that needs to be made that, that reinforces what 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 you're saying. And then maybe you can ask me that question again. But, you know, 150 years ago, people were afraid that someone like Betsy DeVos would come along. And so the South Carolina Constitution, for instance, says no aid from the state treasury shall go to fund private religious schools because they knew a Betsy DeVos would come along. And South Carolina was not alone in that. We had lots of states that said that because they said, you know, you let these people hang out inside the halls of government long enough, right? that they are gonna come for the public schools. They're gonna come for the public money and they're gonna try to turn the government that serves us all into a government that serves their religious interest, right? Now, there was a Supreme Court case this summer that caused us to have some adjustment in, in that sort of religious piece, but South Carolina's constitution written, you know, and, and revised over time, but dating back to 1868 says, no public money for private religious or non-religious schools because we knew Betsy DeVos would come. And so I think the thing, the other part of, you know, history is to say, look, you know, we've been trying to guard against this stuff for a long time and we got comfortable enough that we let our guard down against folks like Betsy DeVos. And that's why it is important for you to run, you know, this clip and say, look, um, we need to realize that she she's on a mission here and, um, and it's not the one that, that, that we want or we, we should set up. Uh, and also, I guess the final point, our schools are not against religion. There's not a single child in the United States of America uh, unless the teacher is calling on them right now and asking them a question who cannot pause and take a prayer in school. There's not a single child in America who if they want to have you know prayer meeting and Bible study at lunch or before class starts in the morning, they can do that. And so somehow the idea that religion can't enter the school is wrong. What we're saying is we can't pay teachers to get up there and preach religion because there's lots of religions out there and there's a lot of people who don't believe in, in religion. And that's fine, right? That's not the job of the teacher or the principal. Sorry for, for not answering your No, and, and I think that that's important, you know, and I guess, I guess the reason that I keep going back to it is because I think it's at the core of everything we're seeing. And, you know, I see there's a guy trolling us right now saying government isn't shit and, and this and that. Uh, and, and I would just say to him, you know, what is the government, right? Like nobody's for big government, but government is how we take care of each other. Government is public schools. Government is roads. Government is the military. Government is police. So, you know, to say government isn't shit and like I only even addressing it because I think a lot of people think that, you know, it's it's just ignoring, you know, a lot of the good that happens in our lives, social security, Medicare, you know, it's a, it's a really easy, short-sighted way of looking at things. And I think that it's, again, it's, it's part of why 
people like Betsy DeVos and Governor Lee are so dangerous is because they they kind of think that government shouldn't do things until, of course, they want the government to step in and keep gay people from getting married or women from having abortions. So, you know, nobody actually means these these ideological things to an extreme. They just use it when they want to. And and I think Betsy DeVos is no exception there. So, you know, I I, I just the the end game of steering money away from public schools to private schools then there's no net to take care of the less fortunate kids there's no you know we, we are just shredding the very mechanism we use to take care of each other and it's short-sighted and, and frankly selfish well and i you know talking about the long term I and mean, there, there is i believe and this is the bigger fear there is there is a second wave of this right so right now what we have is, you know, private choice or call it, you know, private schools pitted against the public schools, right? So that is, or sort of education freedom against government schools. That's what they would say, right? And so you ought not be forced to go to, to government schools. And if you don't like government schools, we'll help you go to private schools. So that's step one. Right. Step two is, in my mind, I believe, now I'm projecting into the future, you get enough kids out of the public school system. You get enough into the private school system that you detach, you know, the idea that public schools are here for us all. And you create this system where, well, you know, it's really up to the individual to figure out how to make it work. And when you do that, and let's just be specific about, you know, Governor Lee or whoever else's voucher program, it's very hard to cap the budget of a public school system. Right. Because if, it, if salaries are going up or we can't attract teachers, then we're going to have to raise we're going to raise the budget. Or if we've got kids with special needs who, who need additional help, we've got to deal with that in the budget. But when you start hiring contractors, and that's really what we're talking about here, hiring contractors to educate kids, you got enough of them out there. You can go, you know what, guys, we told you we're going to give you sixty five hundred dollars a year. And we know we told you that 20 years ago, but you know what? Um, if kid, poor kids in East Tennessee want better private education and 6,500 bucks isn't enough to get it, they better go out and find it on their own. We're not spending it. We're spending that money somewhere else. So part of this is to actually shrink the amount of money that the public is responsible for. So right now it may sound all fine and dandy. I'm gonna get an extra 6,500. If you're not wealthy and you look down the road, you know, 10, 20 years from now, there may not be enough. Well, actually, most of the vouchers aren't enough right now, but they won't be enough later because they're not going to keep increasing. Right. So that's that's step one. Step number two, which is even worse than that, is if if what you're really doing is supplementing high income people's ability to go to private school. So let's say, you know, here in Columbia, it would cost me fifteen thousand dollars to send my kids to one of the private schools. They give me sixty five hundred. I'm still on the hook for ninety five hundred. But that's made school cheaper, whatever. You know, you get all of us wealthy white folks over there. Then all of a sudden, you know, there's enough of us go, what the hell are we paying taxes for anyway? Why are we paying all this money on the public schools? Let's just do away with the thing altogether. And those of us who can afford to educate ourselves will. And those who can't, maybe they'll just homeschool with whatever they've got. I mean, that is the next step. And if you that, that's 100% and, and they say it out loud, there, there was a town hall meeting not that long ago, Governor Lee was there, a woman raised her hand and said, why should I have to pay for public school? I don't have any kids. 
And he, and instead of being like, well, you know, we can't choose a la carte where our tax money goes or else the whole thing's going to fall apart. He was like, no, I get it. And he was like very empathetic to, to that way of looking at things. So, you know, there is sort of this strain of thought out there that if I don't use something, I shouldn't have to pay for it. Right. I mean, I, I think a lot of people feel that way. And that's the quickest way to the unraveling of our society. Well, that's right. I mean, if you, if you look at Nancy McLean, who wrote a who wrote a great book a couple of years ago, is about the Koch brothers and and their education agenda, which is hooked up with DeVos. I mean, their their central animating thesis is that the rest of us are extracting wealth from rich people. So when Derek Black got to go to public school in Clinton High in Clinton High School. And his, you know, his family or his mother was, you know, waiting tables at Shoney's in Oak Ridge um, that, you know, I, she wasn't paying that much taxes. You know, Derek Black's family was ripping off somebody else who lived on the other side of Clinton because those people were paying for his education. And so their idea is that public education is a ripoff. It's taking money from wealthy people and spending it on private, uh, on, on, on lower income people. But if they can they can disconnect uh, if they can disconnect public education uh, from the sort of overall government system, they can begin to say, nope, everybody's responsible for their own deal. And we won't have Derek Black's family extracting education costs out of some other family. I mean, that that is at, at the root their their basic theory. Right. Well, so where where are things headed, do you think, and how uh, irreversible are some of the things that Betsy DeVos has been pushing? Well, part of it, I think, depends on this this COVID bill that Congress has been, you know, debating. And, you know, the Senate has a version that dumps a lot more money into private schools and creates some new tax credits. And so, you know, it expand, expands out that, that side of the playing field. You know, the House has a version that doesn't have all that stuff in it. But if what you're talking and maybe we just look at this point, it looks like maybe we're not going to pass another COVID bill. I know you're probably following it closer than I am. But let's say we've got a deal on the table with a trillion dollars for the economy. And the deal breaker is between the House and the Senate. Are you going to keep this, you know, private school money in there? You know, we all know how politics work. You can see how the House might fold on that. Um, so I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get that in, you know, Lamar Alexander, you're, you're, you know, your Senator, my, my former Senator, you know, he's, he's co-sponsor of this tax credit bill, him and Tim Scott, my other Senator here in, in South Carolina. Um, so they're, they're definitely trying to get more, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the next step, I don't know what the next step is. I mean, as I was on an interview earlier today, I said, look, you know, education throughout history has been a bipartisan issue. It benefits everyone. It's not a Democratic issue. It's not a Republican issue. You know, look at whether you like No Child Left Behind or not, you know, there was like 80, 90 percent of Congress voted in favor of it. Right. Ted Kennedy, departed Ted Kennedy, right, helped push that law across the finish line. Right. Same thing with with stuff that happens in, you know, in Arkansas, Tennessee. It's bipartisan. Right. And so voters, when they go to the voting booth and they voted, 
education has rarely been on their mind when they go in there and cast that, right? So if you're a Republican, you go, well, it's it's deregulation and low taxes versus, you know, the opposite Democratic version. I'm not saying that's true, but in your mind, you can see that because no matter who gets elected, George Bush or John Kerry, they're going to take care of public schools. This fall, this 2020 fall, education is on the presidential ballot. Yeah. It's on every governor's ballot. It's on every single ballot this time. And so if you're a Republican, probably don't have many watching, you are making a choice, right, um, between my tax bill maybe being lower or the deregulation of my business and my children's education future. Right? Absolutely. That's a choice we've never had to make before. So I just encourage folks to think, to understand, you know, public education is not getting the bipartisan support of both presidential candidates and not getting the support of, of a lot of Republican senators, et cetera. And so that's what makes it scary. So it, it is on, it, I, I, I can't make predictions uh, of what the next step is in education. If, if, if this election, uh, you know, goes, goes in a way that I, I don't think it should go. Well, I appreciate you hounding Betsy DeVos and, and thanks for coming on here and talking to us. I just want to answer our buddy Jonathan Smart here, who's regularly commenting on our posts. He secretly loves us. I know it. He says, it's an honest question, though. Why pay for something I don't use? Okay, I will honestly answer that. If we turn our government into an a la carte government and everybody gets to just choose where their taxes go and what we pay for and what we don't pay for, we will very quickly have no roads. We, we Our military will suffer. Our police will suffer. Our schools will suffer. Our libraries will suffer. That's not the social contract that we have here in this country. You make a decision to be a part of the society, to live here, and then we need to pay taxes and be a part of the society that we're in and, and contribute to it. So a la carte tax paying is not what we have here in this country. That's just not how the government works. It never has. And so hopefully that's your answer. I understand you don't want to pay for public schools, but Publics, paying for public schools and contributing to public schools help a lot of people. And I've seen your comments enough, Jonathan, to know that you fancy yourself a, a Christian. You consider yourself a Christian. We have to be selfless in a lot of the things that we do. And paying for our taxes to take care of each other is one of them. And I would venture to say that there are a few things that exemplify the Christian spirit as much as that. So I would encourage you to take pride in the taxes you pay rather than trying to avoid it and understand that what Derek is saying here about our public education system is really important. He's a product of it. I went for some years also, and you know, I am perfectly happy to contribute to it, even though even in the years that I didn't go, my kids are going to go and, you know, we have to take care of each other. And I think that's a part of it. So hopefully that answers your question. We're not an a, la, an a la carte tax system. Derek, feel free to weigh in. Yeah. I'm just going to say there's another angle on this, you know, and I, and you know, I, I, I uh, appreciate honest questions. And so one of my answers is that uh, about five or six years ago, a national sheriff's association issued this report that said, pay me now or pay me later. And what they had done was look at an empirical study of the effects of pre-K education, for instance. And there was a lot of talk about expanding it. And, you know, the data shows that for every dollar we put into pre-K education, right. and since we're saving three in criminal justice. So it's an investment. You know, yeah, it's an investment. And he's and he says, pay me now or pay me. Now. If you don't pay me now for public schools, the sheriff, you're going to pay me later uh, to lock people up uh, or to pay for other things. So 
uh, you know, you, you don't have to be on board with taking care of each other. You want to take care of yourself and lower your, your overall government cost, pay for education now and you won't have to pay for more criminal justice later. And I also would say that uh, I think Jonathan fancies himself a future politician. I would encourage him run for office on a platform of you only have to pay taxes for what you pay for and see how far for what you use and see how far that gets you. And if you can, you know, start a movement and change the way our society works, more power to you. But as of right now, you live in this society and that's the way our society works. So, you know, instead of questioning it or, or wondering why, or you can wonder why, but instead of complaining about it, I would look at maybe the reason why it is that way. And if we do have a lot of respect for the people that built this country, that's the way they built it. So Derek, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, again, I really appreciate that you're keeping an eye on Betsy. No, everybody needs to keep an eye on Betsy. And, you know, as things progress and she does other uh, insidious things, maybe you can come back on here and tell us about it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's hope not. Let's hope. Yeah, not. let's hope not, but I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. Thanks Derek. You too.